welcome to the Shushbox Podcast, a safe space for self-expression, healing, and empowerment. Hosted by me, Sunita, founder of Shushbox, the wellness platform supporting survivors of sexual trauma. Hey guys, we're back again for another episode of the Shushbox Podcast. Today we're focusing on marginalized survivors and the importance of community. I'm really excited to be joined by the incredible Germanica, who is a trauma queen, consultant, sex educator, wrestling fan, and also founder of Tending the Garden. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you have any questions, please do feel free to get in touch at hello at shushbox.com. Thanks! Hi, Germanica. Welcome to the Shushbox podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. So before we get into things, um, I wanted to start off with maybe you just giving yourself an introduction for our listeners, for those of you who might not know the incredible things that you're up to. Okay, so there's so many ways we can do it. I'll just give like a brief intro slash bio. Um, So my name is Jiminika Eborn. I am a trauma specialist. Most of my work is with sexual assault survivors. I am also known as a comprehensive sexuality educator. And I say comprehensive because for me, it is more than just about the body and genitals. Um, We talk about feelings. We talk about emotions, how to communicate, which a lot of us become grownups and don't know how to do that. So I like to have those conversations early in the game. I work with survivors on one-to-one stuff. I run support groups. I have a nonprofit for sexual assault survivors that have been marginalized. I also co-own an intimacy coordination training company that trains folks for film and media. I am a student of life. I am working on my second master's in law with a focus in criminal justice and a rape investigation certification, just because I have no desire to be a lawyer, but I want to know all the ways that the law is not helping well, I need a nap from listening. <laughs> I'm like, I gave you the short version. I cut out a lot of stuff. This is, <laughs> no, it's super impressive. Like, it's really an honor to connect with you and you're doing incredible work within the space. So yeah, just to hear kind of like what you're up to, the different areas. And yeah, even like you say, even having that knowledge, I feel within the law is almost like a motivation in itself. Like seeing those loopholes and finding those areas. It's a whole other point looking at survivors and, you know, supporting in the healing journey. But then when it gets to the advocacy and, you know, the reporting and the justice system. So I can totally see why you're doing a bit of everything really to kind of get out into the world. So yeah, much needed work for sure. Absolutely. The system is weird. It's really weird and made up. So that's... It doesn't make any sense in terms of like... Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people who talk about the fact that it doesn't make a lot of sense either, yet there's no real movement on on any of the things that we're always constantly talking about, right? The more I learn, the more I'm like, this is dumb. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a time and I'm glad that I have the ability to, you know, seek out this education to be able to show up for survivors in many ways. Mm-hmm. So the topic of this conversation is obviously, I mean, it's pretty loose, but but we were going to talk about the importance of community. Because I know yourself, obviously, you've created a community uh, at Shushbox as well. We're a community supporting survivors of sexual trauma in the healing journey. So I thought we could just have that question between us of what does community mean to you? Yeah, I think community looks like connection. It looks like someone that understands you 
community, it doesn't necessarily have to be someone that has had the same journey or similar journey, but that someone is willing to take the time to understand who you are, where you've been, where you're going and connects on different levels. I think it's also a really big support system because as humans, we're not meant to be alone. We're meant to have others around us. We're meant to have people supporting us and us supporting people. It's kind of like a balance. So for me, community is needed. Community is sadly a privilege for some people, which I feel like it shouldn't be, but I think it is so needed in navigating things because sometimes we have to look outside of ourselves to understand what's happening within us. For sure. Yeah. Looking out. Yeah, that's so true. And how would you say having community, like finding community, like say for your own journey, what would you say was like the benefits of finding community for yourself? Yeah, I think that the best part about having community is you don't have to retell your story or retell what's happened to you and have someone like instantly judge you. Mm-hmm. Um, because the people in community oftentimes, you know, they may not have understood and or have, they may not have had the same thing happen to them, but they have an understanding of it. And so within community, you can just like express yourself and kind of put down your guard possibly a little bit more. And so for me, it felt like I could say things and have people not cringe and mm-hmm. so have people go, Oh my gosh, yeah, that was so wild. Or me too. And you're like, okay, because oftentimes you feel so other, you can feel so alone And with the community, it allows you to feel less alienated. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was like, cool, other weirdos that have done things or have had things happen to them. And then we can talk about it in a way that feels good instead of a way where someone is like probing you or just like looking at you like a lifetime movie special. Yeah, I mean, I totally, I totally agree with you on that. I actually was speaking to another survivor just last week and she was saying it's really nice to just as you just said there, let your guards down and not feel on the defense. You know, with a lot of survivors, they might have come forward and not been believed or like you said, being asked those probing questions. And I was referencing a time when I was doing an interview with somebody and I just felt like they were just trying to get the dirt right. It wasn't even like they really cared about what the answer was going to be. They were probing on those questions. But I do feel for me anyway, in community, speaking with other survivors, having that kind of sense of I see you, you see me, and that general unsaid understanding of, um, you know, we've, we've, like you said, shared some commonality, not that it's the exact same experience, but just having that empathy towards one another because we've kind of lived something ourselves. Not to say that people who aren't survivors can't have that empathy, but, you know, it's just a different feeling for me. Um, sometimes oh. letting, letting your guard down and just being like, okay, I'm not the only one. And okay, there's, there's more of us going through. Yeah, this. I always say that I'm in a, a club that no one actually wanted to be invited into, but has some of the coolest humans in it. That's true. <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> I'm in the club. <laughs> we're in the club. Did we want to come? No, but we're here now and we're badasses. So here we are. Yeah, beautiful. And I mean, I know the work that you're doing um, focuses specifically on marginalized communities. So what do you think in terms of communities, um, particularly for marginalized survivors? What is the difference? We could, you know, in non-marginalized survivors, would you say, in finding community and finding access for healing and resources? Yeah. The reason that I created Tending the Garden is because I've worked for over 10 years in mental health facilities. And I saw that if you were not white and cisgendered, you got different treatment. 
And I was like, hey, I'm black, I'm queer, I'm a woman, like I'm seeing myself not being held safe in other people. And so for me, the reasons that I wanted to create such communities is one, they for some reason don't get funded as if other people are just fine, like they don't need support. And then when they do get support, they're still not given the same respect. They're still not held in the same regard. And so with tending the garden and other things that I do, having someone that looks like you, that, you know, can relate to you, it allows you to hear better. If you're not constantly on guard that someone's going to say something that might be triggering, racist, sexist, homophobic, all the, all the things, you're able to be present. Mm-hmm. And for me, I think that's so important. So we have multiple pillars within tending the garden and we will be having retreats for them. And each retreat, say it's for cis men, those teachers will be cis men. Mm-hmm. If it's for trans women, those teachers will be trans women because there's a different connection and understanding of their journey because they've lived it. Mm-hmm. And so if you have someone where you don't constantly have to explain yourself, you don't constantly have to give definitions and everything you say, they're like, what, what does that mean? And you can just do the thing. You're going to be able to connect within yourself and like get the support that you need because you're open to it versus like being on guard. Um, and so when I think about like the marginalized communities, I think about people that are overlooked and discounted for whatever reason that it may be. But historically, when I look at and what I've seen beforehand is sexual assault survivors are only cis, cisgendered, heterosexual white women. And I'm like, inaccurate, because those that are marginalized have a higher chance of being assaulted mm-hmm. because people aren't checking for them or they're already looked at as less than. And then there's money not going to these areas because again, whatever racism, um, whatever it may be. um, And it's really sad. It's really sad. And it's really hard to see that there's different levels of what survivorship looks like or what survivors look like. And it's like, nope, we're all pretty traumatized over here. We're all trying to figure shit out. Like there shouldn't be people that get support and people that don't. Yeah. And like you said, it's uh, providing support where you can see, not see yourself in that person, but have a better understanding and connection with that conversation, with that letting the guard down and being more open. So I totally agree with you in that. And that's one of the reasons why we reached out to you. We were like, hello, we're also like, you know, uh, women of color. So sometimes working on Shushbox, I didn't actually realize it until it was happening. I was like, everybody's a woman of color. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It just kind of like yeah. happens that way. <laughs> yeah. um, so not that everybody will be for, forever, but you know, that this is where we are now and this is what we've built. And that was where the need was. That was where the connections were coming and it was very authentic how we built it. So it's interesting, obviously you're focusing specifically on marginalized communities, which I think is so beautiful and needed. And we've kind of created one without knowing it you know what I mean it's like yeah. it wasn't until I was speaking to one of um, the girls who I work with at Shushbox the other week I was like actually yeah <laughs> we're all women of color because we see yeah. each other as each other right it's only when you zoom out and you're like hang on we're having a different type of conversation to the narrative yeah. that you see outside absolutely I think I've I noticed it more because we're in the facilities I was working in 
I was the only woman of color. Mm-hmm. Um, but also the last job that I worked um, before I was like, I'm done working with people. I was the only black woman that worked there. I was the only one that had been in the industry for 10 plus years, but they still discounted my knowledge until they needed something. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay, bet I'm out. Latest. <laughs> yeah, I was, there were other things that happened. Like I was yeah. sexually harassed by another coworker and it was all women. And it took a very long time to, to get that handled. But even in spaces, right? Like sometimes e- even in communities, we find that they're not always safe because there's always humans are humans, mm. um, which is also really tricky and scary to navigate. Absolutely. And it's personalities. And sometimes, you know, just having a women's only space, that doesn't mean it's safe as well. Absolutely not. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen harm in, in all spaces and all communities. And I know I'm sure just like you all, you try to do your best to mitigate and navigate the what ifs, but we never will be able to do everything. We just have to stay ready for the what if. Yeah, for sure. Because there's only so much that you can do as like a community building in a community yourself there's only so many measurements you can have in place there's obviously human nature as you're you're saying here and you can't control that (laughs) we can only just try our best interest to have like the guidelines and you know lead by example of how you speak to others how you want to be spoken to so yeah yeah, absolutely the tricky one so do you believe that diversity of your program is more beneficial to each individual's healing journey I mean we've kind of spoken about that having that diversity of your program is beneficial because obviously each person is kind of having a different touch point that they can relate to, would you say? Absolutely. And you know, there's some people that have never shared their traumas, right? Like there's a lot of people that have never shared their trauma, but then when you get to come to a space where others have been through it, others have shared, I think there's also such beauty in role modeling, right? Like seeing how other people's handle things and how other people have had conversations For some people, they're like, oh, yeah, there's other people, but I haven't seen it in action. Mm -hmm. And that adds to their healing space. So I also run a support group. We do seven seven weeks on, two weeks off, and we just keep going. What I've seen is a lot of these, these individuals come and they're like, I've never told anyone I was assaulted. I've never told anyone I was raped. I've never told anyone this happened to me. Mm -hmm. And it's so beautiful to see is that some of these people... They come, they never turn their camera on. They don't talk. They just text. And then suddenly they just have like a moment where they feel safe and their camera's on and they're talking and they're sharing because they see people that look like them. Mm. They hear other people's stories and they're like, oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one, right? And that's what we get in these types of spaces is you get to go, oh shit, there are others. Like people say there's other people, but I've never seen them. I've never met them. Mm. And community allows for that to go, okay, this, this is real. Right. And sometimes when we get into the community space, it's, it's really helpful. And sometimes it's just very jaunting because again, you've never seen all these people or people that are just so comfortable talking about their traumas Mm. that you're like, uh, like I get people that are like, how do you talk about it? And I'm like, therapy, that therapy meditation, it's been years. Um, and it's an overtime thing, but I think the aspect of creating community spaces where you get to just be, where no one's questioning you, no one's going, are you sure? They're just like, yeah, that sucks. Mm, mm. Wow. 
that's bullshit. Like I love when groups like, can I, can I make a statement? Um, I'm mad for you. I'm pissed with you. Cause sometimes that's what we need is like someone to be pissed with us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can find that in community spaces. And do you find, so obviously you've had your own healing journey with the people that you're connecting with within the community. Can you see like parts of yourself, like as you progress, not that we ever finish, like hit like a finish line in that healing journey, but can you see parts of yourself when people are coming forward at different stages in their healing journey? For example, for someone who might not have shared their experience does it connect you back to when you was in that phase? For me, sometimes when I'm working in the space, I have to like, when I have these conversations, it's like going back to that point and remembering how I felt when I did feel like I couldn't speak about it. I didn't speak about it for years. I didn't speak about it with anyone. And then I'm like, gosh, like it's just like a, a big circle, isn't it? This uh, whole journey of life and healing and conversation and pulling each other along the way with us. Yeah, I do see it sometimes. And it's kind of why I'm glad that I am where I am because I can also share like the wisdom aspect, which is weird. I'm like, I'm not that old to be sharing wisdom, but I'll receive it. Right. Like you get to be able to, like you said, you get to be able to pull people up with you because you're like, I've already gone through it. We don't all need to keep doing this thing. Like, let me just give you some of the tools that I use and it might not work for that person, but you get to be like, Oh, and I think there's also the aspect of like, wow, I have come far. Yeah. Do you ever have those moments? Cause I'm like, Oh, wow. Huh. Look at there. Yeah. It's hard when you're working on these, in these communities and creating these spaces and you, you're inspired by your own journey. But yeah, sometimes I'm taking the moments recently to really just like reflect on how far I've come, you know, and not putting too much pressure on myself to create this perfect community either. It's, you know, it is what it is. I'm creating it's been part of my healing journey to have these types of conversations and connect with people like yourself. So it's all still part of my healing journey. Would you Absolutely. say the work that you do is part of your healing journey? Absolutely. It's so funny you asked that. My therapist who I've been with, wow, for like four years now, um, she was like, I've never met anyone that continues to navigate their healing through their work. Like I always say like, we are teaching each other, right? Like we're, we're helping each other. Like whoever I work with, I'm like, this is the same reason I don't call myself a coach. Um, I say I'm a companion because as, as you're learning from me, I'm learning from you. There is no one day that I don't work with someone and go, wow, this is, this might be something new in my brain. And then it makes me go and do research or go read or a podcast or something. I don't think the the healing journey is ever done. I've been trying to stop saying like, how's your healing or how have you healed? Because like you said, there is no end And I find that sometimes survivors are putting this healing on a pedestal and they're chasing after this ideal Mm -hmm. that might not ever be for them. Like just what it looks like, that might not be what it is for you. So I've been saying like, how are you navigating this, right? Because you might have something that is triggering and puts you into a freeze trauma response and you worked on it, you, you learned different tools. And then a year later, you're like, oh, it's fine because you navigated through that. And then you might have something else come up and you're like, well, damn it, a new thing. Because it's a constant motion. Like I would say like the taking it off is like the trauma's never undone. We can't be like, you know what? I haven't been raped anymore. I'm taking the rape off the table. Like, no, it's still there. It's still a part of us. It's still within us. And it's just every day is a different day in our shoes. So how do we navigate it in ways that feel good for ourselves? 
And when I talk about that with survivors, they go, oh yeah, thank you. Cause I've been trying to do this thing or people think I should be in a different place and I'm not there and it's stressful. And I'm like, you're where you are. Mm. Yeah, you're so right. And with that said, so I mean, even now, we still I still get triggered I could you could still get triggered even even later down the line one year later something can come up and you might get triggered it doesn't mean you've gone any less it doesn't mean you've gone backwards in your healing journey like you say it's a continuous motion of navigation and everything's moving forward triggering forward if you get triggered it doesn't mean you go backwards it's all progression and it's all that's the journey isn't it it is and also being triggered isn't always bad like being triggered is such a negative thing. Like you can have positive triggers. People are like, what? I'm like, yes, guys. <laughs> it, it, there's positives and negatives. Like you could be triggered by a smell and be like, oh, I remember that time when we had those cookies and they were warm, oh, happy feels. Or it might be like, I remember that smell. And this reminds me of a traumatic event, right? So there's the, the positives and the negatives. And I think we we lean so hard on being the negative part of it, mm-hmm. right? And also you can be triggered and still have a different response from the, from the last time. So maybe the first time you're triggered by a thing, you freeze, you shut down. And the next time you're like, you feel it in your body and it slows you down, but you're still pushing through. Or the next time you're like, yep, I know what's happening in my body. I know what to do for myself. Okay, right? Like we just continue navigating and going through it And it might be something that falls off and it might be something you struggle with forever, Mm. but it doesn't always have to be as awful as people make it seem on the internet. (laughs) For sure. I mean, I have a mentor that I work with and, you know, she, she says that a trigger, if a trigger comes up, it's actually an opportunity for a release, (laughs) you know, something is triggering. It gives you that opportunity to question why, and then work through that why, and then release it, release, you know? Write it off. Mm-hmm. It could come back and then it's another opportunity to release. <laughs> yeah, it's, you're in constant motion. Yeah. And emotions mm-hmm. are meant to be, come up. You know, we're not, we're not designed to not feel anything. It's about feeling your, what you're feeling, honoring what you're feeling and either releasing it, moving through it or, you know, analyzing it, letting it go or holding it for a little bit. If you have to, that's kind of how it is. Absolutely. There is no just one way to do it. There's trial and error, right? Like it really is trial and error to see what works for you and what doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. And I, I hate when everyone's like, you should just get a therapist. And I'm like, that doesn't work for everyone. So like give people options. Is a therapist an option? A talk therapist? Yes. But also there's somatic therapists. Mm-hmm. There are therapists that actually just work within sexual assault survivors or sex therapists. Like there's so many ways to do things. There's people that just do the spiritual route. So I I hate people like, just get a therapist, you'll be healed. Like, ew. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's kind of where Shushbox started. It's like, we want to create this space and have these conversations to talk about exactly that. It's not just one size fits all, you know? What works for one person doesn't necessarily mean that healing uh, modality is going to be the way forward for everybody. It's not one shoe for every person. So with that said, what would you say have been some of the things that have worked for you? And and I guess they might have changed over time as well. Yeah. So when I first started, you know, trying to navigate why I was drinking so much and fighting men, uh, I was like, oh, that one time. Yep. I should probably navigate this. Um, So for me, I went spiritual. And when I say that, I learned how to meditate and get back into my body. And for me, that was really helpful. 
And then I did more like sexuality education to understand my body because most of us were never taught sex ed. So learning language and understanding body responses was really helpful for me. I eventually did do talk therapy. Um, and I also did a lot of body movement. Mm-hmm. Um, I did kickboxing. I did Pilates. I did pole dancing. I was just doing things that also helped me to like release mm-hmm. and feel comfortable and strong within my body. Um, and those are the things that worked for me. And then I would talk like not necessarily to a therapist, but like I would write it out. People were like, get a journal. Yeah, it works for some people. Mm-hmm. And so for me, the body movement, the understanding my body and getting back into it was really helpful. Writing things down, getting them out. I, I have a ruminating brain and I'm like, nope, I will go into a cycle and it'll just keep spiraling. So if I'm able to get it out, that helps me. For sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a quite a few things there. It's funny because it's different order for me. <laughs> like I started with the talk therapy. Uh-huh. You know, I remember just going to the first therapy session and being really like shut off. It's similar. I had like trouble with addictions, uh, you know, just like toxic relationships and cycles, constant people pleaser. And then I just like hit a moment when I was like, right, something needs to change. And my first route was going to therapy. And that did feel a little bit cold, to be honest. The whole experience was a bit cold. It, you know, took time week after week, breaking down those layers to gently be unfolding my arms in the (laughs) session. Um, and then talking about what the root of what I knew it was all along. I just never spoke about it. So it's like this root, 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 root to get right down to the deepness of it. But I think finding spirituality for me with the meditation and the yoga was really where kind of like embodied everything. So I felt like I learned a lot in therapy, spoke a lot of it out, but it, I didn't really start to feel the release or feel, you know, what I'd been through until I hit like the more like mind, body, spirit, <laughs> spirit, like three part really. So yeah, yeah, I think spirituality, meditation, even now I still meditate. It's literally a part of my daily, daily routine, I would say. I just got back into yoga. Um, I'm also someone that needs like a hard reset set to be able to like focus my brain and my friends think I'm wild, but I'll go and do like a 10 day silent retreat. I was just going to ask about this actually, because this is, yeah, tell us a little bit more about the, um, the yeah. retreat that you did. Cause that's where you got the idea, right? I've done it twice now and people are like, tell me your experience. I'm like, it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And the best gift I've given myself. Mm-hmm. It is 10 days. People are like, but you're just quiet the whole time. And I'm like, I mean, you slip up every now and again, and you're able to talk to your meditation leader and like one other person. And it's, it's really wild what comes up and what, what you want to process because they, they help you learn how to breathe. It's not like teaching new breathing. It's just like, how about you learn your own breath? And you're like, (laughs) what a concept. (laughs) Um, And it's, for me, I always describe it as like the most intense body scan that I've ever done. Because they really teach you how to navigate what's happening in your body. And someone that also has chronic pain, it allows me to kind of like focus in that. And then each day is a different processing for me. Like there's, I don't know. It's like the light comes down. It's like today we were going to think about family. Mm. Tomorrow it's going to be about partners. And you're like, ugh. And the wild part is you can't read. You can't write. There's no music. It's just you and your thoughts. That's tricky, man. I thought you were going to, like, if you had a journal, because I spent, no. I have never done 10 days. I recently did like a, a day retreat in London, uh, just outside of London. So it was, you know, 10 till five, which is not like six hours. 
<laughs> and I could write and you could eat and you can do all these things. Um, but yeah, I think 10 days with no writing, I still need some type of release. <laughs> like I need to write or I do do sign. I can be silent, I think for long periods of time. Cause I sit on park benches, just like staring at trees. <laughs> My thing of this year is I've been going on a lot of long solo walks. So in those walks, I'm finding things. Sometimes I'm like crying on the walk, right? Like in the scenery in the countryside. But it's okay. A tear falls down and it goes and then then I'm happy. So it's like a walking meditation. But yeah, yeah, 10 days. I imagine that must, you must really go through it in the 10 day period. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. The first, the first one that I went to, it, it is where I came up with the concept for tending the garden. I was tired of working for other people. And I was just like, what is missing? Like, again, I don't believe you necessarily need to reinvent the wheel, but like, where are we filling in the gaps? And I was like, well, the ways that I've seen those that have been marginalized held, it's really re-traumatizing for them. And I was like, what if I created a space where you could just go and be a space in nature um, with water, plants, food that feels connected to your body, that type of thing. And for me, I'm like, oh, duh. Um, And it's the concept of like what I want to build. Um, And then we have three tracks. And I think when I was thinking about what I think survivors need, what kind of support, there's mental health support. Mm -hmm. There is body forgiveness. And then there's sex ed. And I think when we're learning all of these things, we're also able to take back power. And so the retreat, when it does happen, it was supposed to happen. And then the pandemic happened. And then the retreat center stole our money and wouldn't give it back. They didn't give it back? No, they still oh, have it. I, um, gee, that and they refused. And, and that was also really heartbreaking to see someone. It, it felt like another barrier to care for people. Like all of that money was fundraised. It was like, $30,000. Oh my gosh, this is horrible. And they're like, we believe in you, but... Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that would be very difficult to navigate after. Yeah. And and so it did take me out for a while, just like emotionally, spiritually. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to let this stop what the goal is. And so we're, we're navigating fundraising and things now, but you know, I was able to receive a grant from American mm-hmm. Express. Wow. And so I was able to do that. Yeah, do online events for folks. And, you know, we're creating things now. I want to do a monthly subscription box for survivors Mm. to have that come to your house with different activities and, you know, doing the in-person retreat. So I have a team now, I have a board now, and we're navigating how do we create these spaces for those that need it? Because they go to other spaces. And this is what I've heard from people. Mm -hmm. They go to other events or whatnot, and they're not sex positive. So they're being shamed. And also because they're marginalized, it's not speaking to them. It's not speaking to their experience. There's a a certain level of privilege that's never addressed, but, but held upon, if that makes sense, Mm -hmm. which it doesn't feel good when you're trying to get assistance and people are like, well, this happened and you're like, well, that'd be nice. I wish someone would give me money and do that. I wish I could have all this access and whatnot. So I wanted to create a space that didn't feel like that. And also I find that survivors are constantly showing up for other people, right? Like we're always trying to help other people. (laughs) And I was like, what about letting someone help you for a little bit? Yeah. Letting someone hold that space for you for a little bit. And I think it's so needed, especially as just like, 
practitioners. That's another thing I want to do. And like, there's a lot of people that go through life and never find spaces that feel safe Mm -hmm. and safe is safe is a relative word, right? Like feeling safe for someone looks different. Like my safety might look different than your safety, but there's some people that just never find that space and tending the garden. I hope for some people has been and will be that space. For sure. So, I mean, what are the ne- what's coming next for Tending the Garden then? There's going to be a retreat that you're planning now or? Well, we're fundraising. So if you have money and you want to donate, you send it to us. Um, <laughs> so we're, we're fundraising to do that now. We actually have a board meeting coming up tomorrow to navigate that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, we are trying to figure out more community aspects. Um, what I want to create, and let's let's change the language because words mean things. What I am creating, yes, is <laughs> what already what exists. <laughs> yeah, what we are creating is the in-person retreats. I want to do three a year. We have six pillars, seven pillars, and I want to do three a year, and we'll just rotate between the pillars. And I want to create community areas within, so people can come and do like a text chat. People can come to a class. Mm. People can listen to someone that knows this work. Um, And also, again, creating something that people can receive tangible to assist them with navigating whatever. So I don't know what that looks like yet. And my brain is tinkering and we're having conversations about what it can and will look like. And I'm super excited about that. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a really exciting project and there's loads happening on your end. So we will definitely be keeping an eye out to see, I want to come to this retreat. (laughs) I'm like, when is it going to (laughs) be? I know, I know. And, and, you know, there's so many different individuals are like, so when is it? And I'm like, it's bigger than when is it, right? Like their business aspects, you got to find the things, you got to have the money to put down. Another thing for me is I want to make it as affordable as possible. Like things can't always be free but I want to make it as affordable as possible because for marginalized folks, it's often the barrier of funds Mm. because it's made in more of a elite status. Like I worked in facilities where 30 days in a shared bedroom was $50,000. That is some people's, that is some people's whole salary twice over. Wow. That's so that was in a like retreat, another facility that you was working on. It was, it was a residential facility where people lived. And I understand like you have to pay everyone that works there, but also those that need the help can't always afford it. Cause that's a lot of money and for 30 days. Exactly. No, it totally is. I'm like, gosh, like, wow. And so the, the retreats that you're going to run, like what, ta- like how long would they be? What can somebody expect? Like signing up for one, the, the process of it. I know obviously it doesn't exist yet, but is it, is it going to be coming this year or ha- happening soon? So if somebody was listening to this podcast and they're like, hey, I'm going to go to Tending the Garden's website and see what's what's happening. What could they expect coming into yeah. the retreat to, to enter with and to leave with? Yeah, so it, it'll be a five-day retreat. Um, there are three days of intense classes. And then we also create spaces for you to go and process things. Mm-hmm. We create time for you to go and spend time with other people. Every day starts with body movement, some type of yoga, stretching, whatever. There's also going to be someone that does spiritual work on site that we that you'll have to meet with. We're, we're having, you're gonna go, right? <laughs> you gotta go to the classes. You have to show up for yourself. We're also doing activities where you get to just have fun, right? Like maybe that looks like body painting on the beach or going on kayaking or just hanging out in a waterfall, depending on location. You also get 
three meals a day and snacks because we got to take care of our bodies while we're doing all of this. And then like, again, fun activities at night, like a movie night, karaoke, a talent show, Mm -hmm. something that allows people to just be and laugh because I think there's so much healing and laughter. And I always tell my clients, like I, I navigate work through laughter. I think laughter is so helpful because it also forces us to breathe. Like you can't just hold your breath and laugh. People go, Oh, and I'm like, I tricked you. Yeah, it doesn't work. I'm trying to try it. No, it doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Like you have to breathe. And I think a lot of us, as we keep talking about that, what if, it's very scary. And so we find ourselves holding our breath, like waiting for the next foot to drop instead of being like, (sighs) so I'll, I'll even text my friends. When was the last time you took an intentional breath? And they're like, right now, because you made me. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> like, Let's do it without me asking. Because it also helps our body, right? So there's all of these things that will be happening. Mm-hmm. And you'll get time with the instructors. You'll get time with folks. It, it is a roommate situation. Also, because I think it helps to have someone to balance things off of. Mm-hmm. When you're going through something hard, some people want to isolate, which you'll have time to do. And maybe you won't talk to your person, whatever, but it gives people opportunity to meet someone that has a better understanding that's totally out of their realm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are multiple pillars. And so people are like, well, I'm not black or brown. And I'm like, do you fit into another class? Yeah. Are you a cisgendered man? Are you trans or non-binary? Mm-hmm. Are you um, a sex worker? Are you a student between the eight ages of 18 to 25? And so the reasons I have it set this way is also because 18 to 25, people don't always listen to them. They're overlooked, but those are the ones that are having a hard time. Being in college is rough. Mm. Um, I was raped in college. I'm like, I get it. Being a sex worker, those individuals are put on a whole different level and people assume because of their work, they, they can't be assaulted. And I'm like, lies, right? Mm -hmm. So the people that aren't getting support, cis men, there's so many spaces where cisgendered men are made fun of and re-traumatized and they are not able to get the help that they need. So when people just hear like, oh, marginalized, for some reason, all they hear is black and brown, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but, but then shun it and don't ever look at what it actually means. So if you can find yourself in there, then yes. That's what tending the garden is, but also like the, the, my personal work, the Jim and Eka project, it's open for everyone, right? So my one-to-one work is for anyone. My support group, that is for women, femmes, non-binary folks. If you fall under that umbrella, that is the only ones because I host that myself. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm able to expand more, if there's more ask and need, then I'll totally do it. Um, and I want to continue to create those spaces where that exists. Beautiful. Amazing. So how can people, um, get in touch with you then? What is the best way to reach Gemonica? <laughs> yeah. So let's do tending the garden first. So you can go to tending the garden dot love. And then on the Instagram, it's tending the garden dot four, like the number dot SAS. So tending the garden for sexual assault survivors. Mm-hmm. And then personally, uh, traumaqueen.love and Jiminika, J-I-M-A-N-E-K-I-A on all the social medias. Unless you want to talk about wrestling, don't go to Twitter. That's all I'm talking about over there. Um, but everything else on Instagram, that's where it's at. Thanks for listening. 
For more information, head to www.shushbox.com. We see you, we hear you, we believe you.